Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I've left the IFB, but I will still IFB that bitch. On this pod, I'm VIP and NJP. Nobody puts Sadie in a corner, unless it's a metaphor corner. I don't believe in hell, so you better believe I can take the heat. I may have gotten in trouble in college for a side hug, but you don't want to be on the receiving end of my side eye. I may have moved cross country, but don't put me on your cross. Do the do the green hair envy one. It's terrible, but you should do it. Okay. Well, it's not green right now, though. My hair may be green, but it's not from envy. I'm bald, so you won't find one hair out of place. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Welcome Uh, to the real house spouses of the podcasting universe. (laughs) This is the Leaving Eden Podcast. We're your hosts. My name's Gavi. Always, as always, I'm here with uh, 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 my BFF, cult expert, cult survivor, Sadie Carpenter. Have you been- Don't worry. (laughs) We are not. We are not completely rebranding our show to be a Real Housewives podcast. We promise. I wouldn't complain (laughs) if we did. Just one episode. Dude, there's so much content. They keep like they, it, I guess it's just because of reality TV. You know, it's so cheap to make. They can just make reality TV. It's way easier than you know paying writers and and stuff. I guess I love the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, but not just because I love watching tacky rich women fight about nothing. Because the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City is actually a quite good deconstruction show. So that's what we're going to be talking t- about today. Um, are, are you excited for that, Sadie? I'm excited about that. I'm so excited about it. I am not as interested as y- you are 
in watching tacky rich women fight about nothing. Um, I am more into watching tacky young influencers pretend to fight about love on The Bachelor. <laughs> um, it's just not my flavor of trash TV. And no shame to trash TV uh, at all. I love some trash TV. Uh this show, though, is a lot more than than rich ladies fighting about things. There is a ton of deconstruction content, and I think this episode will actually be interesting even to people who have never seen an episode of Real Housewives and never plan to. This is really exciting for me because I've been begging Sadie for months, uh, saying, Sadie, you got to watch Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. It's a great show. It's fantastic. As far as like trash tv goes i feel like real housewives of salt lake city is the taco bell of that because everyone knows it's bad but it's the best well i've i've really enjoyed my time um (laughs) with this show so far and i am gonna keep watching it just a couple fyis i think before we start we are not really gonna be digging into is the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints a cult in this episode We will probably talk about that eventually. This one is more focused on broader deconstruction themes because there's a ton in this show that would be relevant to ex-fundies as well as ex-mos and pretty much anybody who grew up in a religion with a lot of rules and expectations. I also want to note that we do know that the official guidance from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is to use the full church name and not refer to them as Mormons. On Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, they use Mormon constantly and almost never use the full church name. So because of that, and because we don't want to make our episode 20% longer uh, by saying the full name every time, we are probably going to use the shorter Mormon a lot in this episode. But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host, Cult expert, cult survivors, Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the IFB, also known as the Independent Fundamental Baptist, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. Um, we talk about the real and impre- present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you get enjoyment out of your out of this show, if you feel like it adds value to your life, then you can subscribe to our Patreon where there will no doubt be an extended version of today's episode that's even longer and maybe has a little bit more tea than the episode that goes out on streaming. Hmm, maybe you want to do that. And we also have extended, uncensored, ad-free versions of all of our episodes or most of our episodes up there. They also come out a couple of days early. So... um that's super cool. Make sure that you check that out. Uh, you can also join our Facebook group, which is called Eden Exodus, and you can join our subreddit, also called Eden Exodus, uh, if you want to talk about deconstruction topics or if you want to talk about, um, you know, just share religion memes. That's a fun place to do that. There's a wide variety of conversation that goes that takes place there. People who had good experiences in religion, people who had bad experiences in religion. Generally, people keep it pretty respectful of each other's experiences. So, Facebook group, Eden Exodus, great place to build community with other people who might have nice insights about life and about what you think. Um, and if you do go to join that Facebook group, there are entrance questions that we need you to answer to get into the group. The most important thing is agreeing to our group roles. We 
really, really work to keep that as positive, supportive as, of a space as you can when you've got close to 4,000 people in a Facebook group together. Um, we really, really work hard for that. And a big part of that is we need people to agree to the rules so that we have a standard that we can hold people to and make sure everybody is being nice. Uh, so if you've tried to enter the Facebook group and your request hasn't gone through, 99% likely that's why. Send us a message if you have any problems with that. Uh, we want to get people in the Facebook group, but we need the entrance questions answered. Yeah, we just got to be sure that everybody is going to treat each other with mutual respect and be kind to each other um, and understand that our differences are not invalidating to each other as humans. And I think everybody can agree to that stuff. And as long as you agree to that stuff, well, I think we'll let you in. Um, Sadie, do you want to uh, thank our patrons now? Is now the time to do that? Sure thing. Yeah. Our I Gave It All to Your Patrons are Kathleen Moncrief, Melissa Mosley, Melora King, Ten Ten, and Todd Dale on behalf of his cult survivor wife, Madeline Antrim. Thank you so much to our I Gave It All to Your Patrons. Truly the greatest among all humanity. Um, even greater than sure. the prophet himself, Joseph Smith. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> what have I gotten into? Our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons are Alex P., Allie Allen, Autumn of Our Discontent, Brittany, Krissa Walker, Dan the Transman, Dora J., Eleanor Donahue, Hannah Ross, Hannah Montana, Hoosier X Fundy, Hope Norum, Horton Hears a Shane, Janine Callen, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Kat Hinwood, Kate Wee, Kristen Marie, Leaving Eden's Christmas Ho Ho Ho, Morgan, update your name. It's not Christmas anymore. Linda Morgan, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Marcia Millard, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arndt, Melissa G, Rob the Methodist, Stephanie Johnson, Steve and Amy, Susie, Tara McNamara, and Wes the Cowboy. Thank you guys so much for joining our Patreon and for being subscribers at the I Gave It All tier. Unbelievable to us that 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 you guys subscribe. It's it's just yeah. Oh man. And thank you to everybody who supports us on Patreon, no matter the amount, to people who support us in non-financial ways like being active and supportive in the Facebook group, sharing us on social media, following us on socials and leaving us good reviews on whatever podcast app you use, sharing us with friends and family, all of those things really add up and really make a difference. So thank you to everybody who supports this show. So today we are talking about The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. It is a, the, the Real Housewives franchise, I think was started almost 20 years ago. They'll, you know, set up in various different cities. I think the Salt Lake City variant, the Salt Lake City franchise started up in about 2020. Yes. Uh, the first Salt Lake City episodes aired in 2020. Can I do a TLDR for people in our audience who have no idea what a housewife show would be at all? Go for it. We have international listeners. I don't know if you get this show in other countries. I'm sure we have a large segment of listeners who have never seen a Real Housewives show at all. This is a reality show about rich women with too much time and money on their hands. The producers kind of put together a friend group with these women who are all loosely or closely socially connected to each other. 
And then they show us their vacations, their parties, and all the drama that happens within their friend group. So Real Housewives of Salt Lake City is the first one from this entire franchise that I've seen. I don't really know that I'll go watch other cities, but this one, a lot of the drama and tension comes from religion. So for me, that was a really big hook. For me as well, this was, um, I've seen episodes of, of other Housewives franchises. Beverly Hills and Potomac are good. I've seen Dubai. Dubai wasn't very good. But the thing that made Salt Lake City really interesting was because it felt like the problems that these women had in their lives actually felt like real problems that people would have, at least as far as some of the problems, not all of them. Some of them are just silly. Yeah, but some of them are really real. Like I got, um, you know, I couldn't get out of the church without doing a bunch of work. And this person that I know got excommunicated. It was really hard. It's, I mean, but it's great television. That's the thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, far from, far be it from me to shame anybody's television choices. I really loved the juxtaposition of trash TV with deconstruction stuff. Um, The trash and the drama is a really big spoonful of sugar for all the deconstruction. It's literally two of my favorite things put together. It's been amazing. Yeah, and it's kind of fitting because everybody who watched like 19 Kids and Counting for all those years got to see trash TV and religious fundamentalism sort of put together. And now we have trash TV and deconstruction put together. So it is a little bit like, you know, maybe a little egalitarian there. (laughs) So we are primarily going to be talking about season one of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, because that's what I've seen. I would not say it's going to be spoiler free beyond season season one, but it'll be spoiler light beyond season one. We're recording this on the day that, yeah, the day after part two of the season four reunion aired, which I watched live uh, because I'm like that now, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um. And so there's a couple of details that I'm going to bring in that were that did show up in that season four reunion, but it's nothing to do with Monica or Reality Von Tease. So if you haven't gotten to that, then don't worry about that. So for those who have not seen this, the show at all, the starting cast is in this um, in this part of the franchise in Salt Lake City. It's six women who are the stars. The show follows their lives. We meet their friends, their families, their employees, and the whole social circle of people who are connected to these six women. So in season one, the cast is Heather Gay, who is a divorced mom and sort sort of Mormon, and owns Beauty Lab, which is a plastic surgery clinic. Lisa Barlow, who is a current Mormon, she and her husband own a tequila company together. Jen Shaw, whose husband is a football coach. Jen was formerly Mormon, but has converted to Islam. Mary Cosby, who is part of a husband-wife Pentecostal pastor team. Her husband, who is the other half of this husband-wife Pentecostal pastor team, used to be married to her grandmother. He was her step-grandfather. She claims that her grandmother put it in her will that she is supposed to marry her grandmother's widower and then take over the church. 
other family members differ. I regret to inform you, we are not going to be talking about her on this episode. We have another plan to uh, to discuss Mary Cosby at a later I'm going to watch more of the show, and then we're going to have a whole episode about whether she is actually a cult leader, because the answer is um, probably. <laughs> Mary Cosby is a reprehensible human being, but she is such a fantastic television personality that- Dude, Did you look up her age? Yeah, she's like- You don't know how old she is? She's like 49, right? Yeah, I was so confused. Because I started watching the show and I'm like, oh, she just recently had to take over this church from her grandmother. And she must have been really young when she married her ex-step-grandfather. And I looked it up and she was really young when she married her ex-step-grandfather. She was 19. But they kept saying she had a 17-year-old son and I was very confused and I thought maybe that's a stepson of some kind. Like maybe it's his kid, but she's like 24. And uh, yeah, I looked it up and she's 40 something, late 40s. Yeah. She has great skin. Well, she looks really, really young, but she also acts like a 25 year old woman would act, I think, in a lot of situations. <laughs> so anyway, that broke my brain. Uh, other members of the cast, Whitney Rose, who is an ex-Mormon who left the church dramatically because she had an affair with a married man while she was also married. She ended up now married to the person she had that affair with. It's her husband, Justin. And then finally, Meredith Marks, who is Jewish and has never been Mormon. So it's pretty evenly distributed. And I think that's one of the things that made this show kind of magical when talking about religion. You have Lisa and Heather, who are both mostly practicing Mormons. We'll get into that more, but they're both believers in the faith, but not super strict on the rules. You have Jen and Whitney, who are ex-Mormons, but for very different reasons, and have moved on kind of in their own religious directions. And then you have Mary, who is a Pentecostal, probably cult leader, and Meredith, who is happily never Mormon. So today we're going to talk about three of these cast members and the way that the topics of religion and deconstruction come up on the show. And then we'll get back to you with an episode about Mary, the cult leader. Probably. Probably. <laughs> no, so... Allegedly. Yeah, so uh, first one we're going to talk about, I guess we're going to talk about mostly uh, Whitney, Heather, and Lisa today. And we're going to start out by talking about Heather. Heather, I think, is a good one to start with because I think she's the one that does the most deconstructing on screen. Yeah. Heather Gay grew up in uh, Carmel, California. She is a BIC, uh, which if you know Mormonism, that means that she was born in the church to parents who were married in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Her ancestors were pioneers that settled in Utah in the 1800s, so she comes from a long line of Mormons um, in the year 2000s. In the year 2000, she married Frank William Gay, also known as Billy Gay, uh, whose grandfather was a successful businessman who worked for Howard Hughes. They had daughters together. They had three daughters together. Uh, but in 2011, they separated and their divorce was finalized in 2014. I know that genealogy is a huge, huge deal for Mormons. In IFB terms, this might be similar 
to being the granddaughter of John R. Rice or granddaughter of J. Frank Norris. There definitely is more than a hint of that in the IFB. I was really close friends when I was in with somebody who was the grandchild of a really famous IFB guy that we haven't talked about much on the podcast at all. And there was definitely an aura of this for her, like, like you know whose granddaughter she is. But it's a much bigger deal in the LDS church. Researching your genealogy and being able to prove what um, Mormon pioneers you were descended from is a big, big deal. So about Heather, she is a person who grew up doing mostly everything right. I mean, she messed around a little bit, but... She went to BYU. She went on a mission. She married into what they refer to basically as Mormon royalty and had three daughters. Unfortunately, her marriage was not everything that it had been promised to be by the church. She and her husband suffered issues with what comes down to fundamental incompatibility, and eventually things became abusive. And in 2011, her husband moved out and just essentially left her to raise her daughters on her own. And around this time, she started connecting with Mormons who were deconstructing, Mormons who were no longer practicing, Mormons who are gay and trying to figure out how their conflicting identities fit together. She began working as a photographer, and this is how she met her best friend and eventual real housewives of South, of Salt Lake City castmate Whitney Rose. They also happen to be very distant cousins. Because they're both descended from Mormon pioneers. Heather's arc over the four seasons of the show chronicles her deciding to stop practicing Mormonism with her uh, three daughters and then writing and releasing her memoir uh, called Bad Mormon, which came out in February of 2023. And I've read this book. I would recommend it if you're interested in reading uh, an account of somebody who is deconstructing from Mormonism. So it it seems like after her divorce, Heather is allowed to be a Mormon, but she's lost some privileges because of the di- the divorce. Yeah, um, is that her and her husband got married, and they just realized, oh, this was a mistake. But then they had three daughters because you know, then they had the social pressure, and her husband realized, like, I don't actually want to be married, and I don't like you that much, and moved out, and then basically just left her. And then he was the one who initiated the divorce. So I think it's not as much on her. Yeah. But he's fine. And everybody, you know, even though he ended up, you know, I think she filed at one point charges of domestic abuse against him. And he just really didn't make the same level of effort to take care of their family and, and to be in his daughter's lives, which is extremely disappointing to hear from somebody. Yeah. I think you can point at the root cause of something like that being purity culture or being the religious culture that they were raised in and still hold him accountable for his bad behavior. It was another one of those both and situations. And also just the general idea that all of the taking care of the house. I mean, Heather in her book uses the word help meet quite a few times And yeah, that, you know, and says basically it was my, it was up to me to make sure everything moved smoothly and make plans for everything. And if my husband decided at the last minute that he wanted to change these plans, then it was up to me to figure out the logistics of doing that. 
and he didn't have to Ooh. actually have to worry about any of the details of that. Just, ugh, yep. yeah. Um, so I, I think my understanding of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that if the husband is a priesthood holder and divorces the wife, she can lose some privileges within the church. And my understanding of this um, partially comes from, I'm glad my mom died by Jeanette McCurdy and other sources. So I think there is a loss of status and privilege if your husband, if you're a Mormon woman and your husband leaves you, but you are still allowed to be a member of the church. But Heather doesn't, even watching season one, she is still identifying as Mormon, but you can tell she is thinking, maybe I don't really want to be. She is openly breaking rules. She's drinking alcohol. She's poking fun at the church. And it feels like she's testing the waters of deconstruction even way back in season one. So more Heather backstory. When Heather was in college at uh, Brigham Young University, she found her passion in sales, in business, and in entrepreneurship. And she worked at a tanning salon selling beauty products and lotions. And she started the jewelry business while she was in school. She currently co-owns um, Beauty Lab and Laser, which is a cosmetic medical practice that offers everything from laser hair removal to Botox to butt lifts to uh, vampire facials, if you're into that sort of thing. So one thing that's talked about on the show is the connection between Mormon women and plastic surgery. I found a quote from Lisa Barlow in a Vice article, and here's what she said. One prophet said, keep your barn painted, like literally make yourself look your best. That's a Lisa Barlow quote. <laughs> this was insane to me because this is an IFB saying as well. Jack Hiles used to say this, if the barn needs painting, paint it. Like I heard the exact quote growing up in the IFB. I wonder where it came from first. I'll have to look that That's up. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So I did some reading about this, and it seems like saying Mormon women are pressured to get a lot of plastic surgery is not quite accurate, definitely oversimplified. It's more accurate to say the LDS church has a high value on personal appearance and the pursuit of perfection, being able to perform and present perfection. And that's one factor that might influence someone to get plastic surgery. Also, Mormons are encouraged to have lots of kids. So someone that has had six or eight kids or more by her late 30s is maybe a little more likely to want to get plastic surgery of some kind. So what I was reading seems to line up with what we see in the show. It's not at all that the LDS church is out telling women to go get plastic surgery. It's just that physical perfection and presenting yourself in a very polished way is highly valued and looking young and pretty while having a lot of kids is highly valued. So plastic surgery is a natural fit for those goals. Yeah. See, that's interesting because I grew up in a culture where plastic surgery was done more as like a fitting into uh, Caucasian European beauty standards it was seen as a way to kind of erase your Jewish features and try to look more like, uh, huh. yeah, um, that, that that's a thing. Um, that makes sense that it would be a thing. Yeah, it, it's it's a thing that some people see as like a status thing, but other people almost see you as a traitor for doing it. 
in the IFB, plastic surgery was not something that was ever talked about. If anyone mm. did it, it would have been scandalous or it would have been kept very quiet. Dyeing your hair or wearing makeup or even maybe hair extensions were allowed, but getting plastic surgery would have been frowned upon. Even getting Botox, for example, would have been seen as a rebellion against God's natural aging process. That's kind of like the IBLP design principle, isn't it? Yeah. And the IFB doesn't adhere fully to that. In most parts of the IFB, makeup is allowed, though you will definitely hear of different churches or different areas of the country where makeup is not as accepted in IFB groups or IFB churches. Some groups, red lipstick would not be allowed or eyeshadow would not be allowed. And some IFB churches don't allow makeup at all. But the general middle section of the IFB that I grew up in Makeup is fine. Skincare is fine. Tanning, probably you're fine. Hair dye is fine as long as it's a natural color. Doing your eyebrows was okay. Shapewear was more than okay. Unfortunately, it was practically required. But Botox or a facelift or implants or whatever, that would be a hard no, absolute no, do not do that. So I went to the Beauty Lab and Laser website just to see like, what procedures they offer and they have everything on the site complete with prices and there, there's just like a price hmm. list right there it's interesting because like i like the transparency no there is real transparency there and i guess if you see what something costs then you're more likely to be like okay well, i can i can save up for it and you're not going to want to like be like oh maybe i should I go in and get websites a- don't have prices i hate it no, I like I looked at the, I don't know exactly how much this stuff usually costs because a lot of places don't really show you how much it costs, but they have Botox for $12 a unit. They have procedures like lip injections that can be like a few hundred dollars. You can get a butt lift for like $6,000. You can get cheekbone fillers for $800. You can dissolve your thigh fat for $1,200. That's all... I would have expected most of that stuff to cost probably about 40 to 50% more than it's being advertised. Just out of general vibe, if you ask me how much does Botox cost I w- or how much does um, lip filler cost, I would have said it probably starts around $500, not $350. So I feel like Heather Gay is a woman of the people a little bit. I would say that is in line with the prices that Instagram advertises me for all of those things, because Instagram thinks I want all of those things, which is a different story. Mm, Mm. I'm sorry. Mm. Don't like that. But I do kind of want to go get lip injections from Heather because lip filler is one thing I would like. (laughs) I don't need to be told what cosmetic procedures I need. Uh, I am very pro people getting procedures that make them happy. It's your body. Do what you want as long as it's safe and not hurting anybody else and all that. But I I would like uh, upper lip filler. And now I kind of want to go get (laughs) lip injections from somebody who works for Heather. Yeah, go to uh, Salt Lake City on vacation. It's nice if you like hiking. Um, It's it's a beautiful place. I've actually been to Salt Lake City. It's a it's a lovely place. I mean, oh right, you were you drove through there. Heather's company, Beauty Lab and Laser, is successful enough that she can open up a second larger location, and the success of her business is a major plot point in the show because it means that Heather can provide for herself and doesn't have to rely so much on alimony payments from her husband, which is cool. During, I think, a lot of season two, um, and you haven't gotten really to season two yet, um, but 
season two, Heather starts having this conversation with her daughters about this is what I was raised with, and I don't think I believe it anymore. What do you think? And it was awesome for me, you know, for as somebody who's been like, I guess, as you would say, grafted into the deconstruction movement. <laughs> To see that going on on screen in a place where a lot of people are going to see it. Yeah, I feel like she's really, even from what I'm seeing in season one, she's really honest with her daughters in a in an age-appropriate way. And that's really nice to see, like, as a mom who wants to be that honest in an age-appropriate way. Another uh, plot point, Heather's uh, oldest daughter, Ashley, gets into UC Santa Barbara. Uh, excuse me, UC Santa Barbara. Uh, this is a really sweet moment because Heather talks about turning down a full ride scholarship to the university of Utah in order to go to BYU instead. She had like a full ride piano scholarship to Utah. Uh, and piano she, scholarship. Interesting. Yeah. She talks about it in her book before she goes to college, before Ashley goes to college, Heather has a conversation with her daughter about sex that is focused on consent and in her confessionals, she talks about how she wants her kids to be able to have the chance to have positive experiences that she never had. And this was also great to see because this kind of echoes a lot of sentiments that we have seen come from people who have deconstructed or are deconstructing and who have children and who want their children to have the experiences that they not, never got a chance to have. So I know I've said this on the podcast before, but there are... To me, there are two types of people in the world. There are people who have had a tough experience and then think that everybody else deserves to have it just as bad as they did. And then on the other hand, you have people who have had a tough experience and don't want anybody to ever experience that if they can help it. I think the mark of a good parent, one of the the quickest ways you know if somebody's a good parent is if a parent has been through something that's tough and their instinct is, I want my kid to have something better than what I had. Yeah. And there's something to be said about, okay, well, I want them to experience what I experienced a little bit just so that they understand. Oh, yeah. I don't want them to go through it. I want them to, you know, understand that the hardship is real so that they'll have compassion and have feeling for people who have to deal with it and also understand that they have to, you know, really work to try to avoid that in their life. But yeah, but I want my kid to have something better than I had. This is on Real Housewives, so nobody is exactly like the best person all the time. But as far as people who you can count on, if if you're going to have faves and you don't want them to be super problematic, then Heather is she tends to be on the higher rankings of where fans rank their favorite Real Housewives from this uh, franchise. I would be friends with Heather. I think I would be friends with Heather. Actually, if because Heather wrote a book, um, her book, Bad Mormon, is pretty good. I would absolutely love to have Heather Gay on this show to talk to her about her experiences in, in, uh, in Mormonism. That would be an excellent interview, although I don't know why she would. Uh, I mean, she's a Real Housewives star. I don't know why she would go on like a podunk podcast like <laughs> we've got here. But if anybody here knows Heather Gay, uh, Please uh, tell her that we would love to have her on the show. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would love that. Do you want to go to break now and then we can come back and we can talk about Whitney? Let's do it. All right. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back from our break. Uh, we are talking about Heather's BFF, uh, uh, Whitney and Heather, bad weather, spin the truth. We are talking about Whitney Rose, who is a beauty entrepreneur. She was raised Mormon. She is best friends with Heather. She is also distantly related to Heather. Whitney Rose got married in the church, but cheated on her husband with her boss and then got divorced from her then husband and married to the man she cheated with. Uh, This man's name is Justin. I have to say, I love Whitney and her personality so much. Really? Yes. I guess somebody's got to like Whitney and I guess I'm glad it's you. I can't believe people don't like her. Really? Just okay. Yeah, you're on. Se- you're on season one. Yeah. Maybe there's. Maybe there's more to come. Uh, I have a. I had a bad run of bad luck last year, where I would say something nice about a celebrity on the podcast, and then they would immediately do something super problematic. So <laughs> it could still be coming. Whitney, I don't know if Whitney's ever done anything problematic, but. Fans tend to like her husband, Justin, more than they like Whitney, because a lot of times people see Whitney as like annoying and dramatic and like trying to have her moment, so to speak. But she's also low-key, just super gullible. So if you want a rumor out there, then you can say to Whitney, I heard a rumor about, oh, I shouldn't tell you. And she'll say, no, what's the rumor? And, she'll be, and you say, no, I, I, I don't want to be spreading rumors around, but I, 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 just, I just heard a rumor about this person. And we'll, Whitney will be like, oh, now I need to find out what that rumor is. And then she'll go and like figure out some rumor and start spreading it around for you. 
Like she'll decide that she wants to go detective, but she's bad at it. And she just ends up spreading Bless her heart. <laughs> she is just not a super genius. Um, she's very head in the clouds and <clears throat> maybe a little self-absorbed, but I just think she has a heart of gold. Out of all of the real housewives on this show, I think that Whitney is probably the least problematic. Um, I also think she's probably the one who's been to the most therapy, except for maybe Meredith Marks. Yeah. Uh, no, Whitney is, she is really just kind of airheaded, but I think she's, I think it's charming. I think she's, you know, obviously she caused some harm to families when she had an affair with Justin and so did he equally. And that's something that she seems to have dealt with, like tried to make amends and be a good person in the wake of that. And she seems like she's committed to being kind and being a good person most of the time. And she's had difficulties in her own family of origin and she's gone to therapy and dealt with that and tries to be a good person and a supportive family member and to you know good sister to her brother and I don't know I just feel like she is a person who tries to be good and most of the time I tend to give a pass to people who cheated if they cheated when they were fundy married uh hmm. I don't like I don't know if uh at least when it comes to shows like Real Housewives, like when it came out, when they're like, oh, Whitney cheated on her husband with Justin. I'm like, okay. I mean, she was like young and she's still married to Justin. And, you know, she got Mormon married. So like, you know, a lot of times that's a thing that you're pressured to do because you, you know, because it's the thing that you're expected to not necessarily because it's something that you really want to do. So that tends to be more of my outlook about that. I tend to be maybe more forgiving than some fans of Real Housewives tend to be where they see infidelity as like literally the worst thing that a person can do. And if it comes out that a person ever cheated, then they're just like, no, I'm done with this person. I mean, that is what she did is a bad thing to do. It is not a, a moral or a good thing to do. And she hurt people. But I think there's mitigating factors in how did she act after that? I agree with you. Did she just continue to act like a tornado who can hurt everybody around them with no consequences? Or did it teach her a lesson about the consequences of her actions? And did she try to reduce harm in every other area of her life for the next 10 years? So Whitney and Justin were, in fact, not excommunicated from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for their affair. Contrary to what some people previously thought, uh, because apparently there was some confusion around that. Yeah, common misconception. Yeah, common misconception. Whitney was told that if she went back to the temple, that her sins would be forgiven. This is a really interesting thing, what she has to say about this. Yeah, so Whitney talks about growing up and trying to be a perfect Mormon girl a lot like Heather does. But Heather was able to pull it off until her divorce. Heather went to BYU and had a Mormon marriage and had Mormon kids and married into this very well-respected Mormon family. And Whitney misstepped sooner because she had the steamy affair with Justin. And 
I identify with this. She was raised in the Mormon version of purity culture. And that's really, really similar to the mainstream evangelical Christian purity culture. So I think her experience with purity culture stuff would be relatable to a lot of us. And her experience of trying to be perfect and feeling like it was impossible to pull off. And I know a lot of people who not necessarily had a (laughs) dramatic affair with their boss, but who appeared to go off the deep end in one way or another when they felt like they couldn't uphold that perfection. Whitney said that she was actually really hoping the church would excommunicate her uh, after the affair, but the church made her jump through a lot of hoops to officially get off the membership rolls. And I have heard this from some Exmo friends as well, that it's actually pretty difficult. If they don't decide to excommunicate you, it's it can be kind of hard to get out. Just paperwork. According to Whitney, she believes that their willingness to overlook her infidelity and this massive affair that blew up two families, she believes that their willingness to overlook this was motivated primarily by money. She, she believes that if they could keep her and Justin on the rolls as Mormons, then even if they're not practicing, that there's a chance that they could potentially get reactivated and start tithing 10% again. So she just thinks that this is motivated by money rather than anything else. And this was one of the things that really uh, uh, spawned her disillusionment with the church. Yeah, that is that was interesting to me. Um, that thought process of I've seen people get excommunicated for stuff like this. I believe that the correct response would be for the church to excommunicate me. Why are they not doing that? I think it's because of money. I'm going to leave the church. That is an interesting thought process, but it's not too different from what I've seen from some XIFB people. Some XIFB people have had deconstruction arcs that were not that different. Not necessarily different from, I guess you were on the other side of this where you had the book thrown at you for nothing, and then you had Kenny Scop trying to write letters to, you know, get people to write letters to ask for leniency for his dad who is a pedophile. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I see those two things as kind of analogous. I can see that. Yeah. Um, Whitney does a lot of deconstructing on screen, and she does a lot of things that deconstructorinos might find a little bit close to home like she gets really into new age spirituality for a little bit she starts taking people to like energy healers stuff like that. <laughs> yeah that can that's a thing that can happen so whitney's dad and his experience with the church is also a big plot point in season one um whitney really loves her dad. She grew up in a blended family where she had half siblings by her mom and half siblings by her dad. And then she was one of two, I think, siblings born to both her mom and her dad after the family was blended together. Whitney's dad has struggled with substance abuse issues and he felt judged and pushed away by the LDS church. So he is looking for help elsewhere. And this is something she bonds with her dad over because they both had this experience of feeling unwelcome or feeling pushed out by the LDS church. 
And it was really sweet to see her almost leading her dad through that experience because she's already had that experience and come out the other side and he's still in the middle of it. Thing about Whitney's dad is really sad because, you know, she makes real sacrifices to try to get him help and then he just completely skips out on her. I fucking hate Whitney's dad so much. I hate his stupid wig. I hate his like grifty nature. It eventually comes out later that Whitney's dad was actually abusive to her and her family as a child. And she had these memories that were completely blocked out, but that, you know, that she had siblings who told her these memories and and said these are things that happened to you and she says i have no memory of that because like i have years of my life blocked out again super relatable to a lot of um a lot of deconstructors of various types maybe i'm a little bit easier on whitney than some people tend to be Uh, a lot of the fans of the show tend to be because i think that a lot of real housewives fans don't really understand that deconstruction can be messy and that people are people tend to be kind of messy when it comes to deconstruction and it can be entertaining but it can also just be like oh maybe that wasn't the best whitney is also the cast member that is the most open about sex in the opinions of some including me she might be a little bit too open uh, especially when it comes to the scene where she and Justin are uh, putting paint on each other. Yeah. And uh, got him fired. That got right? him. Yeah. Yeah. So he got fired from his job because that scene aired on television and people watched it and people said, we can't have this guy working at this company. This is part of the issues that they ended up dealing with then was that Justin was on a, I think 12 month non-compete clause after he got fired from his job. And so Whitney had to basically be the sole provider for their family for a while because her husband wasn't allowed to work, which was a huge bummer and it caused some problems, but it was actually nice to kind of see them getting through it. And as far as couples go, and as far as marriages go on the show, theirs seems to be kind of more real than a lot of the things that you see on real housewives. Like they're willing to show kind of the bad stuff a little bit more, but it feels like they're showing bad stuff in a way that is kind of relatable. So she comes off as pretty real. I think that's partially because there's a little bit of elevator music playing in her head all the time. At the start of season three, Whitney officially leaves the Mormon church, which requires a notarized letter, like like an official, like she has to get a notary to come and terminate her membership. And when she does this, she has Heather and Justin there to support her, which is a very emotional scene. But I think it's also one of the best deconstruction scenes of the show. This is kind of my point when I say I love her because she's she's ditzy, but she's brave, too. And we're going to do a feminism moment. I think there's this trope in feminism. We kind of see this in movies that in order to be a hero, you have to be a certain type of woman. You have to be super smart and super assertive and unemotional. All of these attributes that are often ascribed to masculinity, even though intelligence or assertiveness or practicality are not inherently male traits, we affiliate those traits with masculinity. 
um, people just like don't think that a girl who talks like this can like be a hero. And people like Whitney show that this trope is an absolute lie. You can be feminine and brave. You don't have to be the most intelligent person in the world to be your own hero. You don't have to be assertive and emotionless to stand up for yourself and take your life into your own hands. And I think that's part of why I love her because she, she inverts that trope. And I think that's a valuable thing to see on TV. Yes, I think that's an excellent point. Just one more note, uh, Whitney and Heather aren't the only ex-Mormons on the show. Jen Shaw was raised Mormon. When she was in college, she started dating her future husband, uh, Sharif Shaw. And when discussing their future together and what that would look like, Sharif told her that black people weren't allowed to join Mormonism until 1978. Jen then decided to convert to Sharif's faith of Islam and raise her family Muslim. Sharif is the special teams coordinator for the University of Utah Utes, so he is known as Coach Shaw. So if sometimes if you watch like NCAA football, if the Utes are playing, you'll just see Coach Shaw on the sideline. It's kind of funny. It's you know, I I think they were playing Oregon and I watched that game and I'm like, hey, I know that guy. It's like a bonus Real Housewives episode. I think Coach Shaw is probably the only universally loved cast member of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. He just seems like an excellent person. And even though like Jen is in prison for fraud, everybody still loves Coach Shaw to the point where like most cast members of Real Housewives are on cameo. Sadly, Sharif Shaw is not on cameo. I know this because I've tried multiple times to try to buy a pep talk from Coach Shaw, <laughs> but it's not available. He seems like a really steady, dependable guy. Um, I'm thinking of the 1920s party, Whitney's 1920s party in like season one, episode four, when Jen kind of lost her on Mary. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, Mary Cosby is a, like legitimately a lunatic. Jen seemed like she was out of her mind in that moment, but like Mary Cosby is actually the kind of person like you should see the season end of season two hot mic moment from Lisa Barlow. I'm going to get there. You'll get I'm going to keep watching this. Um, it, it may take me a while, but I'm going to keep watching this. Jen was super drunk and she called her husband like, come get me. They're attacking me. And he's just like, okay, baby, coming to get you. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> And then he has the conversation where he's like, Jen, you're always drinking. And whenever you are drinking and stuff, this like, you know, this is against the principles of Islam. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like it's, we just got, and I'm just like, you know what? That's a good point, Coach Shaw. <laughs> but he's just like pep talking his wife. And I love that energy in, uh, in their marriage. He's, she will call him for a pep talk. <clears throat> and he'll just he'll okay baby here's what we're gonna do here's the plan we're gonna do it this way i believe in you you're gonna get it done <laughs> and i love i love that energy jen it, from what i've seen so far she has just been too involved with her own drama with mary to speak about her religious views which i think is kind of a shame jen is uh hawaiian and tongan raised in utah in the mormon faith she talks a little bit about racism in the church. Um, she was 
perceived growing up as a black woman because of her appearance, uh, because people would assume rather than knowing that she was Hawaiian and Tongan. And then, as you said, she's converted to Islam. And I think her perspective on faith would be really interesting if she could forget about Mary Cosby for 0.2 seconds and talk about it. I would really love to hear what she has to say. But what Jen was talking about is helpful. It's talking about the history of things and specifically how she was treated. And that actually, you know, brings something to the conversation. I hate the fact that I love Jen Shaw so much. The I mean, you'll you'll get to it that she's actually not a, she's like did a bunch of fraud. Oh, she did a bunch of fraud. She's definitely guilty. But Yeah. Having her on television is I mean, it's like chef's kiss. Anyway, we're going to go to break and then we're going to come back and talk about Lisa Barlow. Let's do it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. We are back from our break. We're talking about Lisa Barlow, a.k.a. Baby Gorgeous herself. Lisa Barlow is, I mean, if you go to a survey of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City fans, Lisa Barlow probably gets the most number one, most favorite housewife votes. That's funny because she's pretty much my least favorite. Uh, she, she grows on you. We'll see. She'll grow on you. Um, if you were going to rank the housewives, how would you rank them? I don't know if I'm far enough in to have a definitive ranking, um, but I really, I like Heather and Whitney. I, I like seeing Mary is entertaining, but the, the, the Mary, there's this quote from Mary. Um, she has all the women over to her house to do like an, I'm sorry party. Let's talk about our feelings and like each other again. And she buys them all um, like fancy notebooks and stuff. And <laughs> at this party, she's serving them champagne and she says, 
Yeah, back in 2006, there was this huge heat wave in California and like 4,500 people died and it made the best champagne of all time. (laughs) (laughs) It's a paraphrase, but it's pretty close. That's the type of thing that she would say, though. Like, obviously, I don't like that, but it's funny. Lisa and like Jen annoys me a little bit. Lisa and Meredith just kind of fall off my plate. It's not like, oh, I hate them. It's just I don't like them very much. And it also really bugs me that I cannot tell the difference between Lisa and Meredith visually. So you tell the difference between Lisa and Meredith because Lisa is always holding a Diet Coke. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. Meredith Marks talks like this. Meredith Marks talks like a character from an old movie. Meredith Marks talks like somebody that, uh, a, a character that Alora Dodd would play on, <laughs> as a guest on our podcast. Yeah, but I like Alora. <laughs> I like Alora too. Also, I don't like that Meredith never dresses up for parties. Oh, she dresses up for parties. Just wait. Just wait. Well, the ones that I've seen, like, she showed up to the 1920s party in, like, pants and a blazer. Okay, wait until you see uh, Meredith Marks wearing her uh, Meredith Marks uh, signature mask. Uh, you'll get there. Anyway, the way, the way you tell Lisa and Meredith apart is because uh, Lisa's always holding a Diet Coke, and Meredith Marks looks like she just took an eight-pack of Xanax. Uh, yeah, there's just, it, at least in season one, they have pretty much the same haircut. I don't do well. I don't think I have face blindness to like a full the full extent because I have a friend who does and hers is definitely way more than mine is. But I don't do well telling people apart like facial recognition is not a skill of mine. (laughs) And I usually recognize people by their hair. And there's a lot of season one where Meredith and Lisa have very similar hair. And it is hard. (laughs) Lisa Barlow is from a Jewish family that converted to Mormonism when she was a kid. She attended Brigham Young University, and she is married to John Barlow. They have two kids uh, named Jack and Henry. Lisa Barlow is the only cast member who is currently a practicing Mormon. However, she is sometimes what is referred to as Mormon 2.0, because while she is a Mormon, She does a lot of things that are not necessarily sanctioned by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So apparently it was Meredith's husband who came up with the Mormon 2.0 designation. Am I getting that right? I think so, yeah. Uh, I think he said Mormon 2.0. Also, everybody loves Seth. Seth is fantastic. I have not met him a whole... Wait, are they the ones who were separated and then got unseparated? Yes. Okay. Okay, I have met him. You will grow to love Seth. I look forward to it. I feel like he's got potential. The show lightly implies that Mormon 2.0 is like a thing that people say, and people in Utah would know what it is. But that's not actually accurate. The show gave a name to the phenomenon of what Mormon 2.0 is. Here's a good example of that. The LDS Church does not allow its members to consume alcohol because it is deemed a hard, uh, a harmful substance, along with, I think, hot drinks, uh, like, like coffee, is also in mm-hmm. there. Despite this, Lisa Barlow owns a tequila company, uh, Vita Tequila, which I'm obliged to say is top shelf. 
Mary Cosby one time said that she didn't like Lisa's tequila because it, quote, tasted like water, which is funny because, like, if I told you, Sadie, hey, try this tequila, it tastes like water, would that make you want to drink the tequila or not want to drink the tequila? Uh, want to? That's, yeah. Mary's like, this tequila, your tequila tastes like water because she was just being mean. Now I am genuinely trying to figure out the last time I had tequila. <laughs> Uh, i went to a mexican restaurant this weekend we had margs it was fun it has been a while yeah no it took me a while but i figured out what is so weird to me about mormon 2.0 if you know anything at all about me i think it would be obvious that the concept of following a belief system but not subscribing to all of the rules of it makes total sense to me i think what's weird to me is being so open about it Especially when it's not, like, I know a million exaggeration. I know a lot of people who follow a belief system and the only thing they don't ascribe to is, like, the feminism and the LGBTQ stuff. Like, that's, like, their exception. I don't know a lot of people who follow religion that says do not drink and then drink. But what really doesn't make sense to me is following a religion that says do not drink and then owning a company that makes and sells alcohol. Because in in teetotaling Christian beliefs, it's pretty common to consider giving or selling alcohol to someone else a bigger sin than taking it yourself. Like in the IFB, it is very, very, very much a rule. That drinking yourself is one sin, but giving it to somebody else is a much bigger sin. So I think that's what trips me up about this. It's that, and then also it's not that she's not following the rules about what you have to believe. It's she's not following the rules about something that you have to do, and it's not just public, it's her whole company. So people finding out oh, Sadie left the IFB and she drinks now. That's not as bad as, oh, Sadie left the IFB and she's a bartender now because you were a bartender for a little bit. Yep. See, that's that's what I was thinking, though, because we talked about Bethany Beal a couple weeks ago from Girl Defined and how she's becoming a sex influencer and why her breaking taboos in evangelical culture really bothered you. And I think um, you do see a lot of frustration from Heather, and I see your objection to this as also being um, kind of analogous to Heather's frustration with Lisa's sort of Mormon 2.0, whatever it is that she's doing. Another thing I want to say is that Lisa also, uh, despite being a Mormon, has been outspoken about LGBTQ rights. There was an allegation at one point that the caterer that Lisa influenced the caterers to pull out of Angie Harrington's fundraiser for LGBTQ rights. But this allegation was made at Lisa because she is a cast member who is still a practicing Mormon. But Lisa then refuted this allegation by saying that she were that she supports the rights of queer people. And additionally, she is best friends with Meredith Marks who has a queer son Brooks and Lisa defended Brooks when Jen Shaw was making public statements about Brooks' sexuality. Um, not the best look for Jen Shaw. And Lisa said that outing somebody is wrong and that Brooks is valid no matter his gender identity or orientation. Yeah, Brooks is really fun, and I love that Lisa stood up for him. 
I haven't gotten to the point in the show yet where they have disagreements, but it seems to me, I you know, read up on it a little bit. It seems like Heather has hurt feelings about everything that she lost both personally and religiously when she got divorced. And it kind of stings her that Lisa is allowed to have a tequila company and get away with it. Which I think is completely valid. Yeah, that would hurt my feelings too. I mean, I have complained about very similar things on this podcast. Yeah, and the 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 hypocrisy is real. The hypocrisy is um not something that can just be kind of like hand waved away. But sometimes you have to wonder whether seeming hypocrisy is more is is more actual hypocrisy in people deciding, "Oh, I don't want this." And people saying, "Oh, well, we're going to turn a blind eye to this because we want um because it benefits us more than it hurts us as it is to, Oh, maybe this is a thing that could possibly be liberalizing in the future and getting better. Yeah. Um, I think what I'm seeing about the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from this show is that they have these mechanisms for enforcement of the rules. People ask me all the time, well, the IFB had all these rules. How do they enforce these rules? And a lot of the enforcement in my experience was pretty informal. It was shame-based. It was, well, the pastor will preach a nasty sermon about you, or um, everybody will know that you're sinning, and that would be shameful. The IFB mechanisms for enforcement are their church discipline, but that's a lot more rare. The LDS Church has a lot more formal avenues for enforcement of their conduct rules, like rules about drinking or rules about clothing. But it seems like at least within this social group, within this ward or stake or whatever, those formal avenues of enforcement are not being used. I think in other, the more I learn about the church, it seems to me like this varies a lot from place to place and from church leader to church leader. I think there are some that use those formal enforcement methods a lot more. And I think there are some that use those formal enforcement methods as a weapon. And this, what we're seeing with Lisa being able to have a tequila company and be fine and uh, Whitney not getting excommunicated when she I really wanted to be and be done with it. We are either seeing it's the area that they're in. It's just whoever their church leader is, doesn't practice that way. Or it's because they're wealthy and the church wants them to tithe. But I, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting to compare the methods of enforcement between these two groups that have very similar strict rules it's interesting to theorize why those methods aren't used as much as we might expect from what we see on the show. So one of the major plot points of season three and four is that Lisa's son, Jack, is, doesn't really know what he wants to do with his life. His parents have kind of like helped him uh, start his own company called Fresh Wolf where he makes, I guess, body spray and hair products. Uh, but that company wouldn't really survive without 
their investment. So they're, you know, trying to teach him business practices, I guess. But he doesn't, but, you know, his mother expects him to go to college. And he doesn't know if he wants to go to college. And in the end, Jack decides that he is going to go and become a missionary for the church and ends up getting sent on his mission to Columbia. This was interesting because I think we, this was, I think, the most we really got to see Lisa interact with her faith and spirituality, all while she was feeling the feelings that parents feel when their kids go away from home for the first time, but also more so because Jack wasn't exactly going to the safest of places. Also, it's worth noting that Jack's mission got delayed because uh, he sent in a shirtless selfie to the government when he was trying to get his visa, and so he didn't get his visa in time. Uh, okay. <laughs> but this also became a point of contention between Lisa and Heather, because when, I guess this is a thing that they do in Mormon culture where if you find, when you find out where you're getting sent for your mission, you have a big party and you invite everybody over and then it's like a big reveal party. Will it be San Fran by the Bay? <clears throat> oh, is that a song from Book of Mormon? Or Australia where they say good day. I want to be in my favorite place, Orlando. Yeah. Is that Book of Mormon? <laughs> Book of Mormon. Okay. Um, it, sorry. It, the Book of Mormon has been in my head this entire episode. Still haven't seen it. Heard it's good, though. It, there, there are parts that have not aged well, and there is deconstruction commentary that has aged well. It's similar. It, like, if you've seen Orgasmo, it there's similarities. It's kind of like Borat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Like, <clears throat> there are parts that have aged very well and parts that have not. The, so this party kind of became a point of contention between Lisa and Heather because Lisa invited Whitney, but not Heather, to Jack's reveal party for his mission because Whitney was supportive of Jack's decision to go on a mission, but Heather was not supportive of this decision. So did they portray him going on a mission as being really optional, like something he can just simply choose to do or not do? Yes, that he wasn't expecting, like his parents weren't expecting him to decide to go on a mission. And he decided himself and then told his parents and his mother was surprised by this decision. She thought that he was going to go to college somewhere. I had to look this up because I thought that women have more wiggle room, but men absolutely have to go on a mission in order to be in good standing in the church and then like later get a temple recommend. And it turns out that I was wrong about that. So some people would say it's a duty of the religion to go on a mission. So if you don't go, it's a sin because performing, because it's, it's your duty. And if you don't do your duty, then you've sinned, but it's not cause for being kicked out and not doing a mission will not in any way prevent a person from later being a member in good standing. However, I do know that what Lisa is showing us is Mormon 2.0, and I am really not convinced that the majority of Mormon young people feel like they can choose as freely as Jack did. Right. And that's kind of the vibe that I get where whenever I hear Lisa Barlow say something about Mormonism, I'm like, okay, but you have. This is Mormonism with all the privileges. Mm -hmm. This isn't necessarily the Mormon. Like, right. This certainly isn't what somebody in like FLDS experiences, but it may not be what people 
in uh, some Mormon ward somewhere else in Utah experience either. A, pa- a couple of weeks ago, we put out an episode about Bethany Beale, Girl Defined, State of the Snark. Uh, we've had a lot of excellent feedback from listeners about what they thought about that. And there's one response that I thought was very interesting. And there was a post uh, made by Autumn in our Facebook group, which I, I don't want to read the whole post, but to sum up, she basically said that she sees a lot of the fundy snark as a, as like analogous to her, uh, her words, not mine, whole atheist phase in the 2010s. And the combination of what internet culture was at the time to, and, and like being freshly deconstructing, plus the environment of living in Texas and being surrounded by a very aggressive conservative form of religion heavily contributed to the animosity towards religion. Um, and that's sort of what I see going on here with Heather, because Whitney and Heather have both been hurt by the LDS church. But Whitney has been out of the church for about 15 years longer than Heather has. So she has been done more deconstructing. And she also is able to kind of compartmentalize. I want to support my friend and her family. And I support and respect this decision. Whereas Heather isn't able to so much do this as much. Even though Heather and Whitney don't have any more love for the church than each other mm-hmm. than the other one would. I can, again, I can really relate to Heather because she's sad that she wasn't invited to this party, but she probably knows that she had no business being at this party because it's, it's really not something she is able to accept or support right now. Yeah. And this uh, party was happening right. Pr- like pretty soon after Heather had come out with her book called bad Mormon. And her book was not exactly casting the most positive light on the church. Well, I think just based on my own experiences, I would guess that Heather knows that she doesn't need to be there, but she's still got FOMO. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that really turned me off about Lisa in the first few episodes, there's a scene where she is in the car and her eight year old is in the back seat And she's asking him questions about church and what do you have to do to be a good Mormon? And the first thing this tiny little kid answers is don't look at porn. I laughed so hard when that happened. Oh, dude, it bummed me out so bad. Because I feel like this kid is being pushed into purity culture unnecessarily. Like he's eight. He's eight. And I know that kids in school often get exposed to adult materials by other kids. That's it's an age-old story. It's a thing that happens. I think having a conversation with your kids about adult things and the potential that they may be exposed to pornography and internet safety, I don't think that needs to be a punitive discussion or even a religion-based discussion. Like, y'all know, I like to work ahead. I like to think ahead on parenting things because I want to know where I'm going so I'm prepared when I get there. And it seems like the consensus from consent-focused and sex-positive parents is when kids get old enough to have an awareness of porn is a thing that exists, you tell them the truth. You tell them it's not good for their developing brains because their brains are not developed enough to know what to do with that information 
And that's why they shouldn't look at it and avoid being exposed to it. Because that's the actual truth. This is why, aside from any religious or moral beliefs about sex, this is why it is not good for you. It really just did not sit well with me to see this kid being given a flimsy reason to avoid something when there's a better and more honest reason to avoid that thing. And when it really may not be something he needs to be worrying about at eight. It's like, that is not the way that I would want my kid to be exposed to the idea of adult content. Right. And I think that as far as a lot of these parenting thing goes, things go, you're, I don't want to say more left wing, because that's not really the, you're, you're, you're like really on this stuff though. Yeah. I think that what's going on here is that a lot of people don't necessarily think about the ideological or philosophical roots or meanings behind the rules that they follow. And I know that you were personally raised in a home where you had a father who wanted to be sure that you had the intellectual understanding of the doctrines and it wasn't just do this, don't do this because God says so. Especially with people who are fundamentalists in their beliefs uh, or who are more ecumenical and who are maybe a bit more universalist in belief than how you were raised, maybe they're willing to see rules and doctrines as ivory tower and not follow them as closely. Either that or it's like the kind of thing where, I don't know, I do feel like this is the kind of, because she didn't say, make sure you don't look at porn. She just asked him, what do you have to do to be a good Mormon? He's like, don't look at porn. And she's like, I assumed that that was something that he'd heard in school or that he was just repeating what had been said. I completely agree that it's a good thing to have that talk with your kids. and, And that includes internet safety and their own safety on the internet, however much or little you let them access it. I just, to me, that was a red flag. If that's something that he's associating with religion, religion is not a particularly good reason for a kid. Like there are so many much bigger and better and more important reasons to tell a kid, hey, stay away from this type of content. It's not good for you. I just I feel like even religious parents would stand to benefit from giving their kid non-religious scientifically based reasons to avoid adult content. And to me that says, "Oh, this kid is being scaremongered at church about religion." The other thing I'm thinking about is that this is uh, a kid who has an older brother who's a teenager. Yeah. He probably heard his parents telling his older brother, what do you have to do? Make sure you don't look at porn. Jack, don't look at porn. Like, that's probably something that that he overheard and then just like repeated out because he's like, that's the right answer that I, I keep hearing people tell me. So I'm going to just say that one. I don't know. If I he- just think it's, I hate that that was the first thing that popped to mind for an eight-year-old. I personally just don't feel like that's, I don't know developmentally appropriate dr shoshana let me know (laughs) that's true but it's also like this is reality tv so you don't know like what came before that or what came after that the coaching was was yeah this this is where i throw my hands up and go you know what i have a child psych friend i'm just gonna text her again (laughs) yeah um say hey shoshana do we uh what's your thoughts on uh (laughs) every time i have a parenting problem now (laughs) i'm spoiled for what it's worth 
when I was in college, I had friends who were Mormon who drank and, you know, went to parties and did things that we all did in college and it was fine. Like I had friends who were Mormon who smoked weed with me, which- <gasps> You smoked the devil's lettuce in college? I can't believe yeah. this. Hell yeah, pimp. Um, <laughs> listen to Snoop Dogg too. Like I had friends who were Mormon and out and gay. And I never, I, like, I'm sure that they got questions about that all the time and how their relationship to Mormonism and, and queerness and whatever. But I never asked them those questions because I was just like, I, that's not really my business to ask them that. My thought also is that, and this is something that I read in Heather's book, Bad Mormon, is that the church seems to care more the closer you are to the actual temple itself. So if you're just somebody who's like, I guess, out in Salem, Oregon, and you're a Mormon and you're gay and you're drinking and smoking weed, then they maybe don't have as much of a problem with that as if you're a Mormon and you're gay and you're drinking and you're smoking weed in Salt Lake City, Utah, and you're like going to the temple temple. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, I know there are a couple podcasts out there about the topics of queerness and being a member or a former member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I have not listened to any of them, but I do know that they exist. There is some kind of resource out there. All right. So I think that's about what we had to say about those topics with those deconstruction topics that show up on the show. I'd highly recommend that people actually check this show out. If you like Real Housewives type content, Salt Lake City is probably my favorite one. Yeah. So uh, overall thoughts on how Mormonism is portrayed in uh, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City? It was really interesting. It's not portrayed as something huge and evil and dark and scary and the worst thing ever. But it is portrayed as something you might very well want to leave, something that isn't for everybody in a church that hurts people when they make mistakes or break the rules. It's a really interesting balance, and the way it was balanced kind of makes me feel that we're seeing these individual people's honest opinions of how they feel about the church. Like when Jen says that her husband's main objection was the church's history of racism, I buy that. That seems legit. I don't think she's lying. Um, When Whitney says she wished they would excommunicate her and that she thinks that the church made it hard for her to get off the membership rolls because of money, I believe that's what she really thinks. I believe that's how she really feels. Even when Lisa says she really loves being Mormon and feels secure and happy in her choices, I believe that's how she really feels. I think she would feel differently if she were held to the actual rules of the church. But when she says she's happy, I tend to believe her. I also think that portraying it like that, where you show the actual realities, is much more of an effective way to have a real conversation about what are the harmful aspects of something than trying to make it into a boogeyman. I don't think that we're necessarily in a position to talk about whether or not a real, a, a church's doctrines and mythology is true or false because i don't really think it matters that much the thing that i think is that is is we ask is this a thing that could potentially be reformed in the future and to make it less harmful to people so that the people who are members would have a version of whatever it is that they follow mm-hmm. to you know that maybe makes it easier for them to live if they're a queer person or if they're just a woman who just wants to have you know a, a more agency within their own life Yep. Consent and harm reduction. 
Right. And while some people would say no, I would personally point to like the Catholic Church and say, look, I mean, what were what was the Catholic Church before Vatican II? And what are they now after Vatican II? They're different. And that's not to say that the Catholic Church doesn't have serious problems with it, but it's also to say, look, change is possible. Yeah, people, my opinion is always people are going to do religion. Humans have been doing religion as long as, as, long as there have been humans. People are always, a, cer- a certain subset of people are always going to want a religion in their life. Trying to stop that is like trying to stamp out a thousand little fires. <laughs> it is never trying to make people not want religion is uh, messing with something that is still a part of humanity. You can wish it wasn't a part of humanity all you want, but it, it's not going to make it go away. What you can, what you can do that makes measurable change is give people more opportunity to consent when they are learning about a religion, when they are getting into a religion, when they are choosing to leave a religion, enable people to have full informed consent more and practice harm reduction in, for those of us who are in some religion, find the things about your religion that can be harmful and try to weed them out and try to get them out of the system. To wrap this up, do you want to possibly cast Real Housewives of Fundamentalism? Yes. There's no way you are going to let me end this episode without doing that. (laughs) No. Okay. So um, I want to set a set of ground rules. I think that you can pick people from any era of fundamentalism, and they all come forward in time to exist now as they existed in their era. Okay. You have to build a cast of between five and seven housewives. And they don't all have to be fundy, but they all have to be in some way fundy adjacent. Okay. Who do you who do you have? Who do you think you're taking? So I wanna I wanna do two different shows because okay. I wanna do real housewives of IFB fundamentalism and then real housewives of fundy snark. Cause I kind of combined the two. I have some of both in mind. So so what do you have? I wanna split. So I think for Real Housewives of IFB fundamentalism. Beverly Hiles and Jenny Nischik. And then <clears throat> you could pick <clears throat> any one really of, of John R. Rice's daughters. He had six daughters. Some were more fundy than others. I know for a fact that some of them really moderated and mellowed out and saw the way that the IFB movement treated their dad in his later years and became very smart and reasonable people. And then maybe you could do... J. Frank Norris's wife, because she would always have some kind of drama. Like there's a trial, there's a house fire, there's a church fire, like there's a lot of <laughs> fires. Uh, I feel like she would always reliably bring the drama. And then um, I am not going to name names, but all of you hackers are going to know who I'm talking about. Uh, husband and wife both work for HAC, both teach at Hiles Anderson. They are tour leaders, and she really thinks that she is the homemaking, cooking, and decorating expert of the entire world. She teaches cooking classes at HAC. I think she would be super dramatic. Also, was thinking maybe um, Elizabeth Elliot, she would probably make people mad. 
And then there are a couple of IFB preachers that I'm thinking of. You can insert any one of them into this scenario, depending on who you know. But there are a couple IFB preachers whose wives died and they married much younger women. I can think of at least two or three examples of that. One of those younger women, that could be fun. Because then she's... It's like a Mary Cosby thing. Yeah, she's playing against these older women who really think they're the experts on everything. Who do you have for your Real Housewives of Fundy snark that you're putting on this show? So I would love Olivia Plath and Bethany Beal having to hang out with Aunt Lori and Debbie Pearl. Because I think Bethany's sexpert stuff would pit her against Lori and Debbie. And they would have to team up to against Bethany. But then Lori and Debbie would also infight because they can't, they would never be able to actually agree on everything if they had to actually spend time together. And then I think if we paired Olivia in kind of a triangle with Bethany on one side and Ginger Volo, Olivia and Ginger might either really love each other or kind of secretly hate each other, but have to team up against Bethany. Or Olivia and Ginger might hate each other so much that one of them would be willing to take sides with Bethany. And then we could maybe throw um, their like young Catholic influencers and young trad wife influencers who make appearances on Fundy Snark. If we could pick the right one that would sometimes be allied with Lori and Debbie on like trad wife stuff, but want to be cool and social media popular with Bethany and Ginger and then kind of bounce between the two groups that could maybe make something. So what you're, I mean, they could be like a friend or they could be like a, a, yeah, not like a main cast member. See what I did was I kind of blended the two. Cause I was thinking about this also kind of like you were in pairs. So my first pairing was going to be Beverly Hiles and Jenny Nischik. Because obviously you pick Beverly Hiles and Jenny Nischik that is just far too spicy to not have a reality show about. The second pairing that I had was like you had with Bethany Beal and Lori Alexander, aka the Transformed Wife. Because you know how on this show, on on, uh, Salt Lake City, every time... Mary Cosby sees somebody that she doesn't like, she becomes completely unhinged and starts saying the most mean, cruel things possible. I think that Lori Alexander would become completely unhinged every time she was around the pants-wearing sex discussion having Bethany Beale. and Because Lori Alexander just has that Mary Cosby-esque combination of complete disconnectedness from reality and also the ability to make conflict out of the most inane minutiae that would, I think, make for great television. Yeah, I just think Lori needs a a tenuous ally. Do you think that Lori would get along with, I mean, because Beverly Hiles is married to a big name pastor. I think that she would have a tenuous alliance with, with, uh, with uh, uh, Beverly Hiles, but that also she would be like, if Beverly Hiles was doing XYZ thing, then Jack Hiles wouldn't have left her for Jenny Nischik, so it's really her fault, which not the best, but it would make for great television. I also think that in order to do this, you also have to have a pair of ex-fundies. Oh, you want a pair of ex-fundies. 
I want to do a pair. So you have like two actual wives of IFB pastors, and then you've got, or not wives of IFB pastors, but like, you know, you've got a, like two very like Hiles Camp IFB. You have Be- Beverly and Jenny. And then you have Lori and Bethany, who are big on social media, but for opposite reasons. And then I want a pair of exes. Um, and I think for this, I'm going to go with Olivia Plath, like you went before. I think this is a good choice because she has reality TV experience and it'll lend itself. You did give me that idea, yeah. I think that will lend itself well. And the other person who I'm going to draft into this is our friend Heather Heath. Oh, no. Which, Heather, I'm sorry if you're listening to this. I'm sorry for putting you on a TV show with Bethany Beal and Lori Alexander. You don't deserve that. But I would absolutely love to put Heather Heath in the same room with Lori Alexander and just to watch Lori Alexander's, like, the vein in the side of her face just, like, bulge out and, like, explode and give her a brain aneurysm just being around Heather. <laughs> Which I think would happen. Uh, I think Heather would make great TV, but I would maybe rather continue expanding our franchises and have real housewives of X fundamentalism. No, you have to have the Xs and the current fundies and like the old school ones and like the new school ones and then like the the people with their foot out in like halfway in halfway out and you have to have the people who are full you have to have them on the same show because that's how you get conflict yeah i know i'm too conflict avoidant because now i'm envisioning a reality show that's just like me and heather and Lindsay doing fun x fundy stuff and not ever having any conflict or drama i mean that would be a fun thing for you guys to do but it wouldn't make for good television I think Heather would save it. She's so funny. It would literally not matter what Lindsay and I were doing. <laughs> Just be Heather making jokes. Yeah, sure. But like, I mean, you guys could get a podcast together and that's fine. But like, I, it, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't have the spice of like, uh, the, the reality Von T's reveal or the, um, the Lisa's hot mic moment or, um, Jen Shaw getting arrested. <laughs> Yeah. They're on the trip to Vail. I would um, just I would feel bad making Heather hang out with those people. I don't think I could do it. I would too, but this is a hypothetical TV show that we're talking about. And I th- I think that if I didn't know Heather, I would find this show fantastic and entertaining and I would never want to stop watching it. Well, let us know um who your casting for Real Housewives of Fundamentalism or Real Housewives of Fundy Snark would be um hope that y'all have enjoyed this episode (laughs) i really did we're gonna come back at some point and do is mary cosby a cult leader sometime after sadie finishes season two of real housewives of salt lake city uh so that should be fun because i i watched videos of her church service and i was like no this is just like a regular super charismatic pentecostal church that's it's not a cult but then i found some more information unfortunately you didn't see the video where everybody in the church was telling Mary Cosby about how she was their best friend and she is literally God. Yeah, see, that's culty. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we'll do that later. You know what I might do? I might just like, if I'm bored, maybe I'll do like a patron live stream where I do, you know how people do like tier lists and alignment charts if they're bored and want to just make content? Maybe I'll do that. I don't know. I support um, you. That would be fun. 
Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Next week, I don't know what we're talking about next week. Are we talking about, is that Valentine's Day or is Valentine's Day the week after that? I don't know when. I do not know. We do have a Christian marriage book, a fundamentalism marriage book coming, uh, review coming for Valentine's Day. I just got that in the mail today, so that should be fun. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. This has been the Leaving Eden Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast. Also on TikTok at Leaving Eden Podcast. Sadie, your socials? You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie, and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Bye bye. I did to change my way.